Welcome, welcome those of you here, Kate and Simon and James and Joshua are on holiday, so please um, pray for them. Others um, also away on holiday, so please pray for those who aren't here for whatever reason. But those of us who are here, great, fantastic, really good to get together. Um, nice to see people who have been away back and all of that, that sort of stuff. And it's really nice to welcome um, Vilma and her husband Cliff um, from God Manchester. Vilma's going to be taking our service this morning, so welcome to you and thank you for coming. Um, various things on the notice sheet, if you haven't, if you haven't picked one up yet. Um... Thank you. Good morning. And thank you for inviting me here again. So I'm very, very honoured, so thank you. It's been such a beautiful week, hasn't it? You know, spring is here for sure. The sun is shining and the... The flowers are blooming and it just makes everything look so, so pretty. And I hope you guys are enjoying your spring break and whatever you're doing this week as well. So let's, let's start with prayer. Let's pray together. Holy God, Lord, we gather together as your people to praise and worship you here this morning. We pray that we may be united in spirit so that all that we say and do will be pleasing and honoring to you. We pray that you may be blessed by our service here, Lord, for we offer it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So today is Palm Sunday. What comes to mind when I mention Palm Sunday? One word answers are good. Name's in the clue. The clue's in the name. <laughs> good. Palm. Waving. Good. Good, good. Anything else? Crowds. Crowds. Yeah. Donkey. Donkey. Yeah. Yeah. Excitement. Hmm? Hosanna. Hosanna. Yeah. Excitement. Praising and all that. Yep. All, all correct. So there was a lot of excitement uh, when the crowd saw Jesus. That's the story. Jesus entered Jerusalem sitting on a donkey. And we read, he did this to fulfill the prophets of the Old Testament. And we read from scripture, it says, Say to the daughters of Zion, See, your king king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. And the crowds got excited and they started to say, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, the crowds may not have been sure of who Jesus was, but they knew he was from God. And so they started to praise him. We know who Jesus is. And so we're here to praise the one who came to suffer and die for the forgiveness of our sins. So let's stand to praise our Lord and our Savior as we sing, Make Way, Make Way. Amen. Thank you. And be seated, please. So what we call Palm Sunday was a very exciting time for the crowds as they saw Jesus come in 
uh, sitting on his donkey. But perhaps it wasn't so exciting for Jesus, really, because he knew that just in a few days he would be arrested and would be put to death on a cross. Can anyone tell me why Jesus had to die on a cross? You knew that was coming, didn't you? (laughs) One word, anything. Was he bad? No. Did he deserve it? No. No. He wasn't bad. He didn't deserve it. And the short answer is something we've heard already, that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Do we know what sin is? Anything? Sorry? The I, the what? The eye in the middle, okay. Selfishness a bit? Yeah? Anything else? It's basically... That's right, going our own way. In other words, it's about um, just thinking of ourselves and sin. It's just not thinking of other people or um, just... Um, the things that we do wrong in life when we just, well, I say just, it's not just. It's, you know, that we deliberately do things that are wrong in life and we act any way we want to. We think of ourselves and we're selfish. And the thing about all this is that that's not how God intended life to be. God thought of, of life and living together with his creation as something to be really, really good. He, in the beginning, God made everything to be perfect. The world was supposed to be perfect. And the best thing that he made, that he loved the most, was the people that he created. And they were to be perfect as well and they were and we all and and creation was good and God thought it was good and everything was perfect and so it was perfect like I think the best way to say it's like this is as close as perfect as we're going to get it was pure what God made it was clean it was just just right and God thought that was good And the humans that he put on earth, okay, do you remember their names? Adam and Eve. Good. I don't think everyone was sure, but yes, Adam and Eve. (laughs) So Adam and Eve and God lived together in a good, perfect relationship. That's how, you know, if you turn to page one in the Bible, that's what you're going to read, that God made everything and it was all good. He made man and that was good, or mankind, or at least Adam and Eve, and that was good, and that they lived together in a good relationship and everything was right. And then God said that they could do anything in where they lived, where Adam and Eve lived, but he gave one specific rule, didn't he? One, one thing that, he could, that they couldn't do. And do we remember what that was? Yeah. He was, they were not to eat of the one tree, from the fruit of the one tree that would, would be of the fruit of, the, of, um, of knowledge. Anyway, it would be the fruit that would that would show them good and evil, and they were not allowed to eat from that tree. But of course, we know the story, they were tempted, and they did eat, 
and they learned what was good and what was bad, and so inside of them now they had this knowledge. Now, so that's what we call sin. They knew or they wanted to know and be like God. So they changed. Instead of being obedient to God, they disobeyed God only because they wanted to know more for themselves. They wanted to be in charge of, their, of, of themselves. And so what that happened was sin came into their lives. And I'm going to... So the perfect, pure creation that God made then was... Stained, and I'm going to put some sin powder in here. That's the best way I could explain it. <laughs> so a little bit of sin powder in here. Oh, if it works. Oh dear. Yep. You try and do things so they they work perfectly, and then it just doesn't, does it? There. Did you see? So here, humanity sinned against God and what they disobeyed God. And what happened was that from the inside, they were full of things that they wanted, their selfishness, their greed, and everything was, was in the system now, if you like. So God knew that now that human was not perfect like he is perfect, humanity now could not live with a perfect God because they were imperfect. So that put a division. They couldn't live together. They couldn't have that same relationship that they used to have. So as time went on, people then discovered that their relationship with God, people just got worse and worse and worse, and their relationship with God just got further and further apart. But they knew that it was sin. So uh, some people, what people then over the years and over the centuries tried to do was to, they wanted to have a relationship with God. So what they tried to do was to do really good things. That's what they wanted to do. Well, if we're really good, if we try to be really good, we will be in a relationship with God again. So they started to think of ways they could be really good. And some tried to be, re- tried really hard to be good. And so they tried to live good, perfect lives. So they put all this good, perfect life into their lives, trying to be pure and perfect again. But as you can see, they, trying to be good and perfect, did not make them perfect. It still did not make them perfect because deep down inside, they were still greedy. They were still selfish. And then others tried to live a very religious life. And they went and they became nuns and monks and all the rest of it. And they, they tried to say, well, we're not going to do anything bad. And that's how they tried to live their lives. Well, as you can see, they put all that goodness into their lives. But that still didn't help inside In their very being, they were still selfish and greedy. 
And still others then thought, I know, if we do things for other people, if we pray all the time for other people, if we give to charity, if we visit the sick, those are good things. If we do all that, we will be good. But they still couldn't make themselves perfect like God is perfect. The stain of sin goes through humanity. And no matter what one does to be perfect, we're just still not perfect enough for God. This made God very sad. Because all God wants is for his creation to live with him forever. Is to live with him forever. And to enjoy his goodness That's what God wants. He wants to be with his creation. So what did he do? He became the human being. Now, do we know what his name was? Oh, Jesus. Yes, yes, Jesus. His name was Jesus. And as a human being, Jesus came to live the perfect human life sinless life, making him the perfect person to represent all of humanity. That's what he did. He came to represent all of humanity. And so, as he represented all of humanity, he offered himself as a sacrifice. A sacrifice is that he decided to give something up. And in Jesus's case, he decided to give his life up. So in other words, he took on the death of sin because that's what, that's what death is. It's a separation. So he took on the death of sin onto himself. That death that permanently separated us from God and he took it onto himself on the cross. That's what he did on the cross. Now I'm going to, this is again, this is science, not magic, by the way. (laughs) And I hope it works. But Jesus took the death of sin onto himself. And it was just the death, his death on the cross that he took onto himself that made us pure and perfect again so that we could live with God. And that's what the cross means to us, that Jesus died on the cross to take up our sin, to make us pure and perfect again so that we can live with God forevermore. And then on the third day, He rose again. So killing death. In other words, death did not exist anymore for Jesus. He proved that there is life after death, giving us the example that one day we too will not have to die forever, that we too can rise with him, like him, and live with God forevermore. So that is the good news 
of the cross. Like I said, this is a science experiment, but it's the best way that I think we can explain how Jesus, how important the cross is, how Jesus took sin onto himself and killed it on that cross so that we could be forgiven and live with God forevermore. Amen? Amen. Good. If you have any questions, ask your leaders about it. <laughs> and, if, um, and before you go to your groups, let's stand to sing. Everyone needs compassion. The world is in such a mess, isn't it? There's so much to think about and to pray about. It's hard uh, to know where to begin. And as I was thinking about this, I, I thought the last time I was here, um, or when we, Cliff and I were here, um, we had just got the result of Brexit. I don't know if you remember that. Now we're learning uh, more and more what, those implica- what the implication of Brexit means. And sometimes it's okay, but sometimes it's quite disconcerting. Coupled with Scotland wanting another referendum, the NHS on its knees, the escalating violence in domestic life, the hate crimes that govern the news, the horrendous report coming from Syria, the state of the world in general is just a mess. It just doesn't look good. And sometimes I don't know how to pray. And I don't know how to pray today. So I've asked Cliff to come and lead us in prayer, actually. Because we need prayer. We need to pray together for this suffering world. So if Cliff, if you don't mind, thank you. Morning. Our reading today is from Luke Chapter 9, verses 18 to 27. Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 27. Okay. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. And still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders chief priests and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it For a man to gain the whole world 
and yet lose, lose or forfeit his very self. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. And we thank the Lord for his word. And Lord, we pray. We thank you, Lord, for your word, and we pray. We pray that you will open our hearts, our minds, our ears to your um, interpretation, to your teaching of what we have just read. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke begins his account with Jesus asking his disciples, who do people say I am? And they answer. And then he asks, now who do you say I am? And the you is emphatic here. Who do you say I am? Jesus wants to know who his disciples say he is. And this question is just as important today as it was back then. Who do you say Jesus is? The answer we give will determine where we stand in our relationship with Christ. Peter's answer was bang on. The Christ of God, he said. In other words, Jesus was the Messiah the anointed one, the long-awaited deliverer. Jesus warns them not to repeat this to anyone. Why? Because the people were not ready to hear that Jesus was the Messiah. They wouldn't have understood. They would have tried to make him king right there, try and force him to do something he was not ready to do, that he didn't come to do. But his disciples needed to understand that his messiahship was not what they thought it was going to be either, because they too had the same thoughts. Jesus was not going to overthrow Rome, and he was not going to rule in Jerusalem. Those were the popular thoughts of what the messiah was going to do in those days. Instead, Jesus was going to suffer, be rejected by the leaders, and be killed, and then be raised on the third day. The disciples had a lot to learn. But for Luke's readers, like us, we know the story. We know that Jesus gave up everything for us that the reason he suffered and died a horrendous death was to take away our sin and make us right with God again. We know that on the third day, he rose from the dead and overthrew not the political powers of the world, but Satan's evil power of death. And he overcame death and rose to life. And we understand as well that through Christ, we too will overcome death and be raised to life, to live in the presence of God forevermore one day. We know all this. 
So, is that it? Are we set? Is Christianity this one-stop experience? Well, not according to these verses we've just read. Jesus' call is quite clear. If anyone, and that means anyone, would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, he said. And this is not the only place where these words are in the New Testament. Jesus repeats them. They're in all four Gospels, and he repeats them several times in one way or another. This is important. Jesus is making something quite clear. We are to do something other than believe and do nothing. Christianity is more than a one-stop experience. Christianity is a demanding journey. So just as Jesus had to go through the suffering, pain, shame, and death on the cross, he calls his disciples to do the same. He calls us to do the same. But why or how, we might ask ourselves. Didn't he do this willingly and once and for all? What do we have to do with this? And yes, Jesus did do it willingly. But the call of the disciples is not just a call to follow him. It's not just lip service that simply says, I am a Christian, and now I'm saved. That's just the end result. We can rest assured that our security is set through Jesus' death and resurrection, and that's fine. But Jesus' call to our lives is also a call to grow, to become Christ-like. So it's a journey of growth, not just of salvation. That's the end result. But in the here and now, our call is to grow. John Stott, in his book, The Cross of Christ, says, every Christian is both a Simon of Cyrene, and that's the guy who carried the cross uh, for Jesus um, when he was going to be crucified, and uh, Barabbas, and if you remember, he's the actual criminal that deserved to die on the cross, but was released while Jesus then was condemned to die. Like Barabbas, we escape the cross, for Christ died in our place. Like Simon of Cyrene, we carry the cross, for he calls us to take it up and follow him. This analogy of picking up the cross to follow Jesus was a picture of death. The Roman, in Roman times, anyone sentenced to death was made to carry his cross to the place where he would be crucified and left to die. It was a horrible death and a horrible sight. As Jesus calls those who would follow him to deny themselves and pick up their cross... He is calling us to die to ourselves, 
That's basically what it means to pick up your cross, to deny yourself and pick up your cross, he's saying, to die to ourselves. Self-denial, then, as one commentator puts it, is more than just denying ourselves of some luxuries like cake or alcohol or chocolate or giving up on cigarettes or anything like that. Like the many things that we do during Lent. This is not to say that there's anything wrong with this discipline. Fasting is encouraged in the Bible. But self-denial is a lot bigger than that. It is an actual dying to ourselves. And Jesus says, this is to be done every single day. This idea of dying to ourselves goes against the grain, especially in today's thinking, wouldn't you say? Society, in fact, world thinking emphasizes that we need to work towards achieving a good life. We should go, be going after those things that make life comfortable, those things that give us a sense of accomplishment and raises our self-esteem and our self-worth. Yet Jesus is saying the complete opposite. That's what the world is telling us to do. Jesus is saying the complete opposite. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? In other words, we may achieve all we want to achieve when we put our energies into pursuing life or and pursuing particularly a comfortable life. But the danger is that who you are as a Christian will not grow. You will, in fact, lose yourself. How many people do we know, or perhaps even we're in this, in this situation, who are caught up in the rat race, if you like, of work, 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 only to come home to continue to work, to maintain all that we have and all that we want and all that our children and our family have? Doesn't the very fact of rushing around seven days a week contribute to the strains and stresses of our lives? How much personal spiritual growth is done in the middle of that fast-track living, I wonder? Jesus says there is another way. A better way that leads to life, that leads to spiritual growth. And it is costly because it means putting to death not so much all that we are, because like, you know, Miss Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type thing, we're both good and bad. There's good and bad in us. In other words, we have our God-created nature and our fallen nature. The self we are to deny, to crucify, is the bad in us, our sinful nature. Everything within us that makes us incompatible with Jesus our irrational behavior, for example, our angers, our selfishness, our lack of self-control, our laziness to develop God's gifts, 
our contribution to spoiling the environment, our antisocial tendencies, our greedy tendencies, and I could go on and on. We must put those sinful behaviors to death. And it's not going to be easy. That's why Jesus says, take up your cross daily. This is something we need to do all the time, every day. It's a long, slow journey of change. And you know, change is just never easy. And it's even harder when you have to change from the inside out. This is something that's from the inside that we need to destroy, if you like. And you know, don't I know it from a personal level? For example, anger and grumpiness. I'm very good at those. Sometimes they could be a real problem. Sometimes I just wake up angry. I don't know why. I just wake up and I'm really mad. Does that happen to anyone? You don't have to tell me. (laughs) But it does. I just wake up angry. But experience has taught me that I have to knock that feeling on the head as soon as possible before it gets out of control, before it affects my relationships at home, before it affects my relationships at work, at church, and my relationship with God as well. I have to say I don't always manage it. But, you know, after years of trying, of being aware, of knowing, oh, my goodness, why am I so mad or angry or whatever, and stopping. You know, I can feel now that those feelings are losing their power little by little, I am happy to say. But it takes awareness. I have to be aware that that is something that's going to rear its ugly head. And I have to be ready to say, enough, stop. Stop and pray and think. And by doing this every day, little by little, with the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives, he lives who lives in us, those sinful behaviors, that old sinful nature can and will die. So there is a spiritual growth. There is something happening. Alternatively, the self, because there's good and bad, there's the sinful nature, and then there's the creative nature, the self that we should affirm and nurture is our created, or better yet now, with what Jesus has done on the cross, our recreated nature that is compatible with Jesus. Our sense of moral obligation, our family life, developing and using our God-given gifts, our skills so that we can be of service to others, our stewardship of the earth and everything in it, our love for God and our love for one another. These are part of the nature of Christ and so part of our nature now as well. For we were created in his image. This is the self we need to grow, not the other. Living every day, crucifying our sinful nature and affirming the created nature 
should keep us really quite busy, quite busy not to do, not to be rushing around and going crazy because we'll be thinking, we'll be living in the present, knowing and being aware of who we are and what we need to, what we need to fight. Now, this is not a legalistic talk about the things we have to do to be saved. Our salvation is secure through Jesus' death and resurrection. You can rest and be assured of that knowledge. This is about growing to be the person and therefore the people God created us to be. A people that reflect his image, love, and care the care of God to a world that seems to be killing itself with hatred and a nation focused on individualism. Little by little, as we grow in the likeness of Christ, we can change our lives, our home life, and I dare say our environment. And I'm just going to give you a couple of little examples that how I found that just just people knowing who myself and Cliff are has changed them a little bit. My mother-in-law, who passed away earlier this year, I have to say I love my mother-in-law. She was a lovely woman. But as she got older, she started, you know, she started to, to express her opinions quite strongly. And she started to use bad language, actually, She was swearing quite a lot. And we know, and that's what people told us, you know, that mom was doing these things. But she never swore or used bad language in front of us. When asked why she didn't swear in front of us, and bearing in mind dementia had already set in, she said that it was because we went to church. So it wasn't right for her to speak like that in front of us. Amazing, isn't it? That she wouldn't speak in this, you know, unworthy, if you like, or however, you know, with the, with the language she was using with other people in front of us, because we, were, we went to church. In other words, you know, there was a sense, I would imagine, that God's presence was with her when we were there. Our next-door neighbors do the same thing. They feel comfortable enough to express with great passion and anger or a, a complaint about something and not about us, I might add, but always stop short of swearing. They always stop short of talking about other people, of gossiping as well. And they have said the reason they do that is because, ooh, you know, they'll say, oh, no, we can't. You know, we mustn't. They know. So they're different simply because we're different. It's interesting, isn't it? And you probably have very similar stories if you think about it. People that you know, your neighbors or whatever, will stop short because of who you are. Actually, because of who you represent. You represent the image of God. You've got the image of God right there and they can see it even though they don't know it. As I grow in Christ, I see that people notice. Equally, when I revert to an old sinful habit, 
People notice that too, and very quickly. Mm. You call yourself Christian, immediately, in a heartbeat, they will say that, which is scary. So I have to be very careful, and so focused on my relationship with the Lord in order not to dishonor him. So to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily means to live each day in a relationship with our Heavenly Father. It means that we can live each day knocking back our old sinful nature, but nurturing the Christ-like character that is growing in us. And this means that we can take a little bit of Christ into every situation that we're in and hope we can make a difference and perhaps share something of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not an easy journey, and it will be, take a lifetime of growing, but it will help to put into perspective what is really important in our lives, which is our life and our relationship with our Lord and our Savior. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your teaching. Thank you that you are always looking after us and wanting us to change for the better. Help us to grow in our Christian life. Help us to discern those things that have to change in our lives to enable us to be the people you created us to be. A people full of your character, A character filled with peace and compassion, love and kindness, gentleness and faithfulness, and above all, self-control. We place our lives into your hands. Please help us to live according to your ways. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, a blessing from the Northumbria community. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.